The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Well, good evening. And um, I always like to begin um, these evenings with um, just a little bow of appreciation to all of you. Appreciation for your efforts to um, to be here tonight. You know, I mean, you could be. I mean, there are a million distractions and entertainments out there, right? I mean, <laughs> um, but you're here, so just want to appreciate your determination to be uh, more awake in your life, to be present, and. Um, those of you who uh, have been practicing for a while, um, you probably uh, realize really what a treasure this practice is. Uh, uh, it's really a wonderful gift that the, the Buddha gave to each one of us, each one of us who chooses to take advantage of it. But I'm sure you've also realized that, you know, it can be hard, this practice. It can be hard. It's hard to... You know, practice every day, hard to be diligent about it. It's hard to be mindful um, each moment in, in every day. But I think we know if we've practiced um, even just a short time, a few months or a year, that um, the payoff for this practice is, is really big. Right? I mean, we know we, we can see that we suffer less when we're really awake in life. So this, um, this week has been um, quite a historic week in the, in the history of our country. And um, I know that a lot of people um, um, are very hopeful that things will get better. I know I'm hopeful. <laughs> um, so this week we kind of have a, a new beginning as a, as a nation. And, you know, while at the same time in the natural world, it being November, um, the things are kind of ending or, or um, going dormant or, or dying. And um, I'd like to share with you um, a favorite poem of mine uh, for this time of year. I mean, we have the changing of the season, um, this kind of natural process of letting go, letting go. The leaves are falling from the trees. They kind of, they have such grace in their letting go, don't they? (laughs) And the natural world is just letting go of all that busy sprouting and growing, you know, from the spring and the summer. And, um, of course, in this practice, we talk a lot about letting go, right? And um, letting go of um, our preoccupations so we can be really present. And letting go of um, all those cravings so we can experience just the contentment that really comes from something as simple as just sitting quietly and following the breath and letting go of our constant preoccupation with self (laughs) 
and with our perceived needs for for something more or something new or you know um, just the simplicity of this moment, our breath and our body and here and now and isn't it really amazing that when we really practice with our cravings, our clinging, our, de- our desires, when we really investigate them deeply with our mindfulness, um, isn't it amazing how many of those things or those experiences that, you know, we feel we just have to have, we've just got to have that thing, or I've just got to do that thing, or we just can't do without it. And then when we, uh, we get it, like what was that all about you know (laughs) this isn't you know this is nice but gee all that craving that desire all that preparation to get it so we find out we can really do just fine without these things and when we see that clearly through this practice um, there really is such a sense of lightness right Um, of, of freedom that comes with the realization that we we really don't need all that stuff that we sometimes think we have to have. So letting go. So the poem is called Autumn, and it's a poem by Rilke. As from the distance, leaves are falling, fall as if the far-off gardens fade into the sky, They fall with gestures of relinquishing. And through the night there falls the pressing earth down past the star in lonesomeness. We are all falling. There, this hand falls too, occurring to us all. Just look around you. Still, there is one who holds us tenderly as in his hands we fall, fall endlessly. So tonight is the second in in our series, our Thursday night series on the four foundations of mindfulness. And I'm just curious how many of you were here last week for Daniel Bowling's talk. Oh, great. Great. So I'll just give a brief overview for those of you who weren't here last week. But the, the four foundations of mindfulness... Mindfulness of body and breath, mindfulness of feeling, mindfulness of mind, and mindfulness of mind objects. Um, They're very, um, this is very aptly named because they really are the bedrock of our Vipassana practice, of our practice of insight meditation. And um, one of the very earliest texts um, that we have of the Buddhist teachings called the Satipatthana Sutta, which is generally considered to be the most important of the Buddha's discourses. Um, in this sutta, the Buddha lays out the different ways in which we can practice, establish our mindfulness, the ways that we can apply our non-reactive awareness to our experience in life. And he, he describes this, this practice as um, the direct path to the end of suffering. The direct path 
to the end of suffering. Um, And I thought I would just read um, the first section here. Bhikkhus, uh, bhikkhus being monks or um, serious practitioners. Bhikkhus, this is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of pain and grief, for the attainment of the true way, for the realization of Nibbana, namely the four foundations of mindfulness. That's how important it is for the realization of Nibbana. And what are the four? Here, bhikkhu, a bhikkhu abides contemplating the body as a body, ardent, fully aware, and mindful, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. He abides contemplating feelings as feelings, ardent, fully aware, and mindful. He abides contemplating mind as mind, He abides contemplating mind objects as mind objects. And in all the various ways in this sutta that um, the Buddha describes this practice, there is a common element, and that being this um, applying this non-reactive awareness to our experience, this accepting, essentially accepting what is. Uh, this ability to um, just kind of let it be. And the first foundation of mindfulness, mindfulness of the body and breath, which Daniel um, talked about last week, and this is what embodies our practice, grounds us. Um, You know, this practice that we do has nothing to do with um, heavenly realms or gods and goddesses or benign spirits. It's, It's right here. It's embodied, and that is the first foundation of mindfulness. And this really kind of uh, is, lets us or helps us let go of our preoccupations, you know, preoccupations with what happened there and then, you know, so we can be here and now. It helps us let go of um, those interpretations about experience that we kind of lay over what is happening so that we can see clearly what's happening rather than allowing ourselves to get caught in these concepts and get caught in our ideas about what's happening. So, you know, mindfulness of the body grounds us right here, right now. And um, in fact, one of the characteristics of sati, which is the Pali word for mindfulness, um, has been described as not floating away not floating away. And the Buddha actually said that this first foundation of mindfulness, mindfulness of body and breath, um, that really this is the only practice that you need, really. If you just stop right here and practice mindfulness of body and breath, then this will lead you to enlightenment. Um, as part of this, um, this sutta and part of this first foundation of mindfulness, the Buddha um, includes a section on um, the four postures of meditation, that being sitting, standing, um, lying, and walking. And after he lists these uh, four, 
he um, he adds, quote, a bhikkhu understands accordingly, however his body is disposed. However his body is disposed. And um, this really rings true for me because one of the things that has really helped me to um, bring my practice from my cushion um, and into um, my daily life has really been mindfulness of my posture. And, you know, this is part of my yoga practice as well. But, you know, I can really notice a big difference in my um, ability to be present um, depending upon my posture. So um, I'd like to do a little um, experiment with you. Um, as you're sitting there in your chair or your cushion, um, just kind of like, you know, kind of lean back, you know, kind of like, you know, kind of, kind of casual, you know, <laughs> maybe the way some people watch TV or, you know, uh, <laughs> you're resting on the couch. You know, just kind of notice. And then sit back up, you know, bring your spine to that alertness, not stiffness, but alert. And just notice, notice the difference. It's quite different, isn't it? So you might just uh, check, check out your posture a few times during the day. And just kind of notice if you're just kind of slumping or you know, just notice what happens when you kind of stand up straight or sit up straight. So mindfulness of the body and the breath is really a powerful, a powerful practice. And um, I love the way the Buddha talks about the breath in this sutta. And he talks about it as um, a way of tranquilizing the body, a way of, you know, um, bringing this very deep kind of pleasure and the beauty of this pleasure is that, you know, it doesn't require us to, um, to get something. Uh, it doesn't require us to take something from someone else. It doesn't require us to achieve um, some kind of success out in the world. It's just right here. And, um, you know, this is what the Buddha is referring to in the sutta when he says that we practice the four foundations of mindfulness, having put away the covetousness and grief for the world. Having put away the covetousness and grief for the world. You know, most people come to this practice because they have um, some sense that what's out there in the world, outside of us, is not really a very reliable or true source of happiness in life. Um, You know, probably most of you are here tonight because you have uh, some sense of this. You've discovered that, you know, looking outside of yourself, you know, material things or, you know, relationships with other people or, you know, success uh, at your job that, um, looking to these things um, to, to um, looking to these things for true and lasting happiness is ultimately um, not that satisfying. Um, and why is that? I mean, because we know that we can understand that 
um, all those things that we experience in the world through our senses, that there's nothing really very stable there, right? It's all changing, all always changing. Um, it's impermanent. And so the Buddha says that we begin this practice of establishing mindfulness, having put away the covetousness and grief for the world. We have some understanding and sense for that. And so what we do have is the simple pleasure of sitting quietly with the breath and with the body, with physical sensations. And, you know, sitting is often a pleasant experience, right? Hopefully it's a pleasant experience, at least some of the time, but it's not always pleasant, right? I mean, sometimes there's unpleasant things that come up, you know, oh, there's that pain in my back again, oh, my knee is killing me, or, you know, unpleasant memories arise and and so on. And so this kind of brings me to my topic for this evening, which is the second foundation of mindfulness, mindfulness of uh, feelings. And, you know, many people, when they hear this, mindfulness of feelings, um, they think that this must be about what what do you what do you think mindfulness of feelings is about hmm? emotions emotions that's what most people think but actually emotions um, in the way that this um, in, in the way that the Buddha has structured these four foundations it actually comes more under the third foundation of mindfulness which is mind but that's a common thing that people think Mindfulness of feelings is emotions, but actually it's feeling tone. It's the feeling tone of our experience. And the Buddha taught that the feeling tone uh, of our experience, um, all of our experiences in life can be uh, characterized in one of three ways. It's either pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant or unpleasant or, or neutral. Sometimes the word neutral is used. And understanding this um, feeling tone and how it affects the mind is um, really crucial to this process of liberating mind and heart from, from suffering. And of course, it's necessary. I mean, uh, mindfulness, uh, the first foundation of mindfulness, body and breath, it's important for that to come first because in order to um, to come to our experience of pleasant and unpleasant, uh, it, it's important to come to that experience embodied in your body, fully in your body. So again, we don't get caught in that um, world of, of concepts and interpretations about our pleasant and unpleasant experiences, just the simplicity of noticing pleasant and unpleasant. And I think that when we, uh, particularly when we experience the unpleasant or painful uh, feeling tones and experience, I think um, I think then we're particularly vulnerable to um, overlaying our interpretations onto those painful experiences. We're particularly vulnerable to taking those personally, right? I mean, to viewing it is all about. It's all about me. It's my pain. You know, um, 
what did I do to deserve this? You know, or um, or or how dare you do that to me? Or you know, this is all my fault. You know, here I am, I'm screwing up again. Or it's all your fault. <laughs> Why are you doing this to me? Or you know, this just isn't fair. This just shouldn't be. So I mean, I think we've all had those um, reactions uh, to. Um, Unpleasant and painful experiences, right? I mean, they sound very familiar, don't they? <laughs> so you're not alone. We're not alone. So if we see this kind of reactivity, this clinging to what we like and avoiding what we don't like as the root cause of our suffering, as the Buddha taught, as um, part of the Four Noble Truths, um, then it really is this kind of constant movement in the mind towards the pleasant and then the craving begins for the pleasant or the the wanting to hold on to it or you know wanting more of it and then this the the mind swings away from the unpleasant doesn't want any of that so it's this constant movement of the mind i think that that keeps us um from really feeling at ease in life, and you can watch this um, at op- you can watch this in operation in your meditation. When you're sitting, uh, have you noticed? Um, and sometimes it's subtle, and sometimes it's not so subtle. That kind of like little squirming around that you do a little. Well, maybe if I if I go a little bit you know, move uh, my weight a little this way, I'll be more comfortable. No, no, maybe back here. No, you know, maybe. <laughs> and we kind of like um, trying to trying to get comfortable, trying to. This is this is the the mind at work trying to get away from the unpleasant and um, and have things the way we want them, right? Little adjustments. And I remember uh, when I was on retreat um, several years ago in San Jose with uh, Upandita, Upandita being the great Burmese meditation master. He's in his 80s now. He was actually the teacher of um, the um, first Western Vipassana teachers, um, Joseph Goldstein and um, uh, Sylvia Boerstein and Sharon Salzberg and Gil. Gil uh, studied with Upandita. Um, anyway, uh, I remember sitting in the little meditation hall and this um, he comes to this, it's called the Tathagata Center in San Jose. And um, he comes there once a year for this retreat. And I was sitting in the little med- meditation hall there and um, I just had the most excruciating um, pain in my right sit bone. It was just, um, it was, it was horrible. And I kept, you know, shifting my weight a little this way. Maybe it'll go away. Maybe no, this way, back and forth. And it was just getting, um, it just kept getting worse and worse. And I kept squirming around, trying to <laughs> avoid it, avoid it. And uh, I thought at one point that I was just going to um, embarrass myself and just jump up and run out of the meditation hall. It was just like driving me crazy. And so after a while, I, 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 really, I really noticed that this, um, this sense that I, 
had of like fighting the pain, you know, trying to get rid of it, um, was really causing me more suffering than the pain itself. So, uh, so I decided, well, uh, okay, so um, I'm going to stop shifting, trying to get away, trying to make it, I'm going to stop trying to make it go away, and I'm just going to investigate it with my mindfulness, with my awareness. So instead of this, I started to go, you know, like this, and I just got uh, as deeply into the sensations associated with that pain as I could with my awareness. And um, as I brought my awareness closer and closer into into the pain, really, into the so, um, sensations, um, the, the struggle against uh, against it stopped. And suddenly this kind of like everything became very kind of opened up into this spaciousness. And um, I, I, I experienced this feeling of being totally at peace um, and um, at ease, even though the pain was still there. But it was not so much my pain. It was it was pain and it was there with all the other sensations that I was experiencing as I sat, you know, my breath and sounds. And it just became another uh, sensation because I really kind of what happened was I was just released from that um, feeling my pain, the tightness of it um, and the, the fighting of it. So. Um, so I, I would urge you, actually, in your practice to sometimes, you know, if there's discomfort, um, try not moving. Just try practicing with it and see what happens. It can be um, very interesting. Um, obviously, if there's something that's really excruciating going on <laughs> um, and, and that you feel like if you, if you sit with it one moment longer, you're never going to sit again, well, then, you know, uh, you know, don't don't try this practice. But um, but just generally, I mean, you know, try just sitting very still sometime, no matter what discomfort you have, and and kind of just bringing your mindfulness to those sensations. And you can also um, bring this kind of practice to your experience um, during the day, and you can just you can just notice when your experience is pleasant and when your experience is unpleasant. And um, for me, it was, uh, it became quite a revelation, actually, to, um, to just observe during my day the, the, the way that my mind would move towards the unpleasant and away from the unpleasant. And it was just constantly, there was this constant, once you kind of tune into this, you really notice that there's this constant um, movement, and a constant preoccupation um, with, you know, seeking out what's pleasant and um, avoiding what's unpleasant. And it's it can be so subtle if you're not paying attention that, you know, you're not really even aware of it. And what I discovered um, through this, through observing this movement is that it really takes a lot of energy it's and it's um it's so self-involved really i mean um i began to realize how much of my um energy and my time was occupied you know just adjusting things pursuing things that were all about my little 
you know, pet little preferences. And I like this, and I don't like that. And, and um, all this adjusting kind of that I was doing. And it's, it's amazing how much um, time and energy goes into it. You know, Tanjeff, who is the um, uh, monk and abbot, actually, of the uh, monastery in San, uh, San Diego, he comes and visits here once a year. He's a wonderful teacher, um, American, who studied in the Thai tradition. We have many of his books here that, from the Meta um, Monastery. You'll see them around. They're re- really good books, too. He calls it the unnecessary turmoil in the mind. And, you know, all this self-involvement, what I discovered, it was ultimately not not very satisfying. You know, all this um, attention to self and preferences and um, not, not ultimately very satisfying. And um, once I had trained myself um, enough to, to really look at this kind of turmoil, constant movement in the mind, um, I decided that, you know, I, I really wanted to kind of take control of the situation, to take, take control of my mind, my attention, and um, to just drop the experience when I saw my mind swinging towards something pleasant or away from something unpleasant. Just just let it be, essentially. And what I found was that my mind was really um, so much happier because it was at rest, really, um, in ways that it never was before. Um, I remember years ago when I was in my 20s and 30s, I remember kind of always being on my toes, kind of very vigilant, um, always, you know, um, trying to dodge the unpleasant experiences and kind of seek out the pleasant ones. And as I was kind of reflecting on that, um, I, I really kind of saw that I was kind of like a hummingbird, you know, kind of flitting around from sweet flower to sweet flower and then darting away as soon as something unpleasant, you know, uh, looked like it was going to uh, uh, appear. And, um, you know, as I said, with this practice, I really kind of dropped it, dropped that kind of vigilance and that kind of flitting around. And um, it was really such a relief (laughs) <laughs> such a relief <laughs> to stop that. I saw, I really saw how tiring it was. And I saw how much energy it took. And I saw that, you know, uh, by facing things directly, whatever is, pleasant or unpleasant, and just coming to that experience without reacting without judging, my mind was much less agitated. And, you know, this really gave me a lot of peace in my life. (laughs) And that's really what we're all looking for, right? We're all looking for some peace of mind. So just observe, you know, see if you can observe that motion in your mind. Um. 
so I don't mean to say that, you know, my mind has stopped gravitating towards the pleasant. Um, the, uh, you know, that constant agitation is gone, but, you know, it's really a very natural thing, a natural movement of the mind towards the pleasant. And we can really use this. We can um, integrate this movement into our practice using, using our breath. So how can we work with our breath in such a way that it becomes more comforting, more soothing in our meditation? And again, when we work with our breath in this way, it doesn't require us to get something, take something, achieve something, turn away, resist. It's just simple. And it can be very deeply satisfying can put the mind at rest and it can really give us some peace. It can help us to feel safe no matter what is happening outside of ourselves. And we can nurture this um, in our practice. We can cultivate it and grow it so that it's there for us no matter what's happening, even when the difficult things occur in life. It's there for us. This is part of our practice, right? To, to cultivate this, um, this deep sense um, of um, contentment that doesn't require anything from outside of ourselves. Um, and um, the breath, just the simplicity of the breath, I mean, it does require some oxygen, <laughs> but so far there's plenty of that. <laughs> um, but it doesn't really require us to use any of the Earth's resources other than the oxygen. So that's a good thing. And it's really cultivating something that we each one of us already has. just requires close attention, uh, applying mindfulness to each breath and nurturing the sense of well-being. And when we get a sense of ease in the breath, um, then the body tends to be at ease. They're really kind of intertwined. And when the breath and body are at ease, I find that the mind uh, tends to follow. And the Buddha really talks about um, this kind of experience um, in this Satipatthana Sutta, in mindfulness of breathing. And how bhikkhus does a bhikkhu abide contemplating the body as a body? Here a bhikkhu gone to the forest or to the root of a tree or to an empty hut sits down, having folded his legs crosswise, set his body erect, and established mindfulness in front of him, ever mindful he breathes in, mindful he breathes out. Breathing in long, breathing in short. And then the Buddha says, and he trains thus, I shall breathe in, tranquilizing the bodily formation. Tranquilizing the bodily formation. So, This is the tranquility that um, the soothing quality of the breath that we're talking about. 
And, you know, I think it's important to note that in this sutta um, also, the Buddha made a clear distinction between um, worldly pleasures and unworldly pleasures. Um, So, again, remember that phrase that he used for how we practice with the four foundations of mindfulness. What we do before we come to it is we, having put away the covetousness and grief for the world. And why do we put put this away? Because, um, as I talked about earlier, we know that the sensual pleasures of the world are really fleeting. They're ultimately not that satisfying. Um, I think that's why we're here tonight, right? We have some sense of this. We're looking for something more satisfying. And so there is this other kind of pleasure that the, the Buddha's practice um, gives, us, gives us this kind of unworldly kind of pleasure that he's talking about and that we cultivate through the practice of the four foundations of mindfulness. And this unworldly pleasure um, is what we're talking about when we use the words joy, tranquility, bliss, peace, contentment, ease. And these are the qualities available to to us when we allow our minds to just rest, when we calm that um, kind of agitation movement in the mind towards the pleasant, away from the unpleasant, when we stop trying to uh, kind of always manipulate our experience to kind of fix things, adjust things so that they're, you know, to our exact specifications of what, you know, what our, what our um, likes and dislikes are. Um, when we can just let it be. I love that expression, let it be. And what I've noticed, though, in terms of this expression, just let it be, um, you know, many people get the impression then that this practice that we do is a passive practice. And um, I, I want to just emphasize that really it's, it's a very active practice. But if you're new to insight meditation, let's say you just come here to the center for the first time and you sit down and you look around you and everybody is just sitting quietly um, with their eyes closed. And so, you know, it's kind of natural for you to have this impression that the practice is all about sitting, doing nothing, right? I mean, maybe you maybe you had that impression some, at some point. Um, but if you've been practicing for a while, you know that when we're just sitting quietly, it looks like there's nothing going on, but there's a lot going on, right? There's a lot going on. And there is a very um, active component to this practice of insight meditation. And, you know, we hear the words, um, the Buddha uses the words ardent effort um, associated with this practice. And we know that it requires discipline and it requires dedication in order to keep coming back over and over to um, here, to now, and coming back to the breath over and over when the mind drifts away. This practice requires, you know, deep 
reflection and discernment as you consider, you know, what are the skillful ways to act and speak in the world? And it requires alertness um, so that we can choose the skillful ways to act. And it requires alertness to know, you know, what are our intentions when we act and speak. Intentions are uh, so important. Intentions are what really um, shape our lives. They shape our the quality um, of our minds. I remember when Bhante Gunaratana, who's a wonderful Sri Lankan monk and teacher, um, when he was here last spring for um, a Saturday, and he talked um, a lot about the four foundations of mindfulness, which isn't surprising since it is the core teaching, and from he's from Sri Lanka, so he is in the Vipassana tradition. I wonder if anyone was here for that visit. Yeah, he's he's a wonderful, wonderful teacher. And um, he used the word domain a lot when he talked about the importance. And I mean, important in terms of um, or from the point of view of suffering and ending suffering. He talked about how important it is to um, stay within our domain. And our domain is defined by or kind of boundaried by these four foundations of mindfulness. And from the standpoint of suffering, um, when we work within our domain, then uh, we're really bringing our mindfulness, our um, non-reactive awareness, uh, we're bringing it not to what what is happening in, um, in our life, but how we relate to those experiences that are happening, how we relate to them from within our domain, from within the four foundations of mindfulness. And staying within our domain and using this practice, we have at least the chance or the opportunity to control whether we suffer or not, right? Um, We often can't control what's happening outside of ourselves, um, but with this practice, we do have control over our domain, how we um, respond to experience in life. I mean, do we allow our minds to react? Do we allow our minds to kind of swing wildly f- uh, from you know cravings to aversions and all day long back and forth? And are we always looking to adjust and manipulate and you know fit our experience into our own unique? parameters. Um, So this is the wisdom of staying within our domain, embodied in our practice and aware of our tendencies to react and taking control of our attention, really, our awareness, instead of kind of letting it wander around, kind of like the hummingbird flitting around from flower to flower. And that's when, that's when we're most vulnerable, I, I believe, when we're not present, when we're, um, when we're giving our minds and our attention just kind of free reign to wander around and take up whatever, um, whatever is our fancy, whatever 
the next worldly pleasure is, you know, or whatever uh, we're avoiding facing up to. Gunaratana told a story that um, it's, a, it's, it's one of the Buddhist stories, actually, and it kind of perfectly illustrated the concept of this domain. Um, it's, it's a story about a little quail, and the little quail lives in um, this field, um, kind of a farmer's field where the earth has been turned over. And so um, it's crumbly earth, kind of different shades of brown. So the quail just kind of, you know, with her feathers, she kind of fits right in, can't really see her. So she's really quite safe there. And um, But one day, it was just such a beautiful day. And um, the quail just kind of forgot herself, and she started to just kind of wander away from her field. And uh, she was admiring the beautiful trees and the, oh, the sunshine felt so good on her feathers and she was just kind of fluffing, giving herself a little dust bath and, and walking along this road and this hawk came down and with his talons he just seized the quail and the poor little quail was so frightened and the hawk was flying away with her and, and she was, she was um, lamenting out loud to the hawk, you know, like, oh, I don't know why I ever left my domain, my field, my field. I don't know why I ever left that field. That was my home and I was safe there and I don't know why I ever did this. And now look at, um, now you've caught me and I'm, I'm, I'm finished now. And, and the hawk was listening and it, the hawk was a very proud bird. And um, he, um, you know, when he heard this, um, he said, well, listen, little quail, I'll tell you what, I'm going to take you back to your field and I'm going to drop you off. I'm going to show you. I'm going to come back next time, next day, and I'll get you in your field. And so he did. He flew back and dropped the quail off in her little field. And um, she was so happy to be back. She was just so happy, and she, she blended in. She blended right in. And the next day, the hawk flew over, and he couldn't find her. Her feathers just blended right in. She was safe. Um, in her domain, in her field. So I love that story. I think it's a perfect illustration of uh, what it means to live within your domain, within the four foundations of mindfulness. So um, I'd like to end with a um, another quote from the suttas. You should live as a lamp unto yourselves, being your own refuge, with no one else as your refuge, with the Dhamma as a lamp, with no other refuge. And how does a monk live as a lamp unto himself, with no other refuge? Here, Ananda, a monk abides, contemplating the body as body, ardent, clearly comprehending, and mindful. He abides, contemplating feelings as feelings, Ardent, clearly comprehending, and mindful. Abides contemplating mind states as mind states. Ardent, clearly comprehending, and mindful. Abides contemplating dhammas or mind objects as dhammas. Ardent, clearly comprehending, and mindful.
So I, you should all stay tuned because next week, of course, the, um, the talk will be on the third foundation of mindfulness, um, mindfulness of, of mind or mind states. So, um, so thank you all for uh, being here tonight. It's been really a joy sitting with you and um, sharing with you this wonderful um, practice that gives us this domain where we can be safe and at ease. So, thanks. <laughs>